when we're prepared to say, do you know what? I actually haven't got this worked out because, you know, I, I don't know the answer to that question or I can't give you a theological explanation, but I can tell you my story of how God's worked in my life. But it's that idea that really all it is is that I'm a beggar who's found bread and I want to share it. This is The Unseen Story, first-hand accounts that reveal God's love and power in the lives of His children. What God has done for our storytellers, He lives to do for you. The Unseen Story is a nonprofit that relies on financial support from listeners like you. Please visit our website, theunseenstory.org, to find out how you can partner with us today. The Bible is filled with seemingly foolish acts, people doing things that don't line up, and don't make sense. From giving it all away to gain everything, to feeding 5,000 from a boy's lunch. It may seem foolish, but God. Fiona shares how her experience with foolishness has impacted her life and the lives of others in today's episode, Foolishness of God. Hello, my name's Fiona. I am a, what am I? I think I'm a jack of all trades. That's quite often how I describe myself. I, I guess I'm a performer and I'm a writer. So I'm a creative. I do quite a lot of creative consultancy. I do voiceover work. I have a few podcasts. Um, yeah, jack of all trades. I'm based in Scotland, based in Glasgow in Scotland. Uh, I'm not from Glasgow, I'm from Edinburgh, so I'm from Scotland's other big city. Uh, but I've lived here in Glasgow for five years my training was as a, a lawyer originally, and then I didn't didn't get work and was pursuing God. And, and God spoke to me very clearly through a number of different things when I was in my early 20s about um, a call into youth work, particularly working in schools. So I wanted to tell young people about Jesus. That was the kind of bottom line of what I was doing with my in my job and my ministry. And I did a bit of puppetry. I did quite a lot of drama. I did lots of drama workshops. I just increasingly felt... Um, I needed to specialize in what I was doing. So other people thought I was an expert in drama and I could pretend to be an expert in drama because people who are good at drama are good at pretending. <laughs> so I would be leading all these workshops, but feeling, to be honest, a bit of a fraud about all of that because I knew that I didn't actually have any full training and um, yeah, having a law degree wasn't much use at training people to do drama. So yeah, I, I made a decision when I was in my late 20s. I really was seeking the Lord about all of this. And so there was this call from the Lord that was basically sell up, sell your house, give up your job, give up the stability of that and move to down to London, go and study to be an actress, which feels a bit like running away to the circus, I suppose. <laughs> and at the same time, I'm, I'm kind of thinking, well, how does that fit, Lord, with a, a, a passion you've given me for this city, this particular city I live in, the people who are here, I don't know how all that fits. The Lord kept bringing me back to verses in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 1, 25, it says, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. And I think the whole thing of going to drama school broke down a lot of my, I guess, my preconceptions of how God works. So I had existed in my 20s in, in quite a, a Christian cultural environment. I had existed as this person who worked for Scripture Union. I went around schools. I told people about Jesus. It was very easy on one level, I think, to share my faith. Going to drama school, um, I guess, stripped away all the layers of that stuff. 
So suddenly I was in an environment where there were one or two other Christians, but we were all quite different in our flavor of, <laughs> of, of faith. Um, and actually the vast majority of people I was encountering were not, were not believers. And I was, as, as I suppose, you know, always is the case, you, you're being asked to do things and think about things that push you in terms of what you're prepared to do, what you're prepared to say. Um, I guess I was in an environment where there was a whole lot of other philosophies and ideas and beliefs floating about. That, that's one thing about actors. They, they're great because they love ideas and they love thinking about ideas and they love embodying ideas and, and, and playing around with, with beliefs. But often they'll flirt with an idea of something for a while and then they'll, they'll move on to flirt with something else. Meanwhile, I'm sitting with this passage thinking, yeah, what is it about foolishness, Lord? What, what is it that you want to do with foolishness? In, in my home nation in Scotland. Um, and at the same time, I was thinking, well, I want to do this theatre company. What would I call the theatre company? I came up with the name, or the Lord gave me the name, Foolproof. It's going to be a foolproof theatre company. So that works on so many levels, doesn't it? Because it taps into this idea of, of the foolishness of God. It taps into the idea that a fool in the medieval court, a fool was the truth teller. So in the medieval court, the jester could could play out things, could make comments, could tell stories that would be acceptable to the, the king. But sometimes the fool could say things that nobody else could. And I thought, oh, that's really interesting. So foolproof, that's the idea. So here I am. I'm planning to go back to Scotland. I'm thinking to myself, you know, I'm going to rock up in Scotland. Scotland is going to welcome me with open arms because why wouldn't they? <laughs> They'll be rolling out the red carpet. She's back. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> she has come with her new knowledge to share with us. And of course, you can tell where I'm going with this. The reality was probably a bit less glamorous. <laughs> and I mean, don't get me wrong. There were there, I've had so many amazing opportunities to um, work in partnership with churches, work in partnership with organisations. Loads of young people, particularly, and I guess older people as well, impacted by what Foolproof has done. But it's been really hard. There's definitely been moments where I've thought, I just want to walk away from this actually or I feel like it all sits on me to make the thing work I think there's been times when I've I've kind of felt Lord did any of those those calls I had to to go and do youth work the to go to London to come back to Scotland to to, to think about foolishness is that real have I made that up you know so I've had some I've had some dark moments I would say with it but there's always been those moments of of individuals impacted when I lived in Edinburgh and Foolproof was in quite early days, we were trying all sorts of different things. And one of the things we did was a, a crafting group called Granny Green's Big Night Out. Subtext, a big night out for people who secretly like staying in. <laughs> so it was full of introverts. <laughs> we basically had a crafting night in a pub and people would just come to the pub and they would sit and they would do whatever it is. And I am terrible at crafts. I mean, I'm, I'm not being modest when I say this. I'm just not good. It became a bit of a joke that I would have to keep asking people, how do I, how do I cast onto this crochet? I can't remember how to do it. It's embarrassing because the other people in the group were all really good at it. Um, but what I was there, I guess, to do was be the extrovert in the room and and be the, the social glue who could keep the conversation going and and be the foolish one, actually, because in that context, foolishness looks like some sort of chump who comes to a crafting group and doesn't know how to knit <laughs> and has to keep asking for help. And that was a massive thing that God taught me about mission, I think, that, that we so often go in knowing the answers and wanting to sort it for people 
and being the ones who even practically, you know, if a church wants to use a crafting ministry, we'll do it in our premises and, and we'll we'll sort it out. We'll do the tea and coffee and we'll we'll kind of have a topic for discussion. And this was a group that met in a pub. I couldn't organize the crafting stuff because I didn't know what I was doing. I also was the one in the in the room who was the least capable <laughs> at the thing I was trying to do. But do you know the the relationships that came out of that that group were amazing. The friendships and you know there's there's somebody who became a Christian through it. It, 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 just phenomenal. And I, and I quite often think, is it because in my weakness and my vulnerability, I was prepared to say, all right, Lord, I just don't know what I'm doing here. You need to, you need to do something with this. And, and I think it probably was. And I think that works in our faith as well. When we're prepared to say, do you know what? I actually haven't got all this worked out because I, you know, I, I don't know the answer to that question or I, I I can't give you a theological explanation, but I can tell you my story of how God's worked in my life. It's a slight cliche, isn't it? But it's that idea that really all it is is that, I've, that I'm a beggar who's found bread and I want to share it. And if I can do that through, you know, being a bit foolish and and, and tell it. I love when I write something that makes people laugh and then brings them up short and makes them think. That That's always my, my, my goal when I, I write particularly when I write drama, um, that people are, you know, they, they enjoy themselves. They're, they're being brought along by something. And then all of a sudden they're confronted with a truth that they hadn't thought about. So I wrote a play a few years ago called Help Yourself, which was, it was in partnership with International Justice Mission. I think about land grabbing, not the most glamorous topic to think about. And, and we were taking true stories and we thought, oh, how do we tell these stories? Because, you know, it could just become a night of real, you know, really difficult for people to, to wrestle with. It was a story of a woman who'd battled for years, actually, through the courts, in uh, she was Zambian, to get land that had belonged to her husband when, when he died to, to get that back from his family. And it was a horrendous story of, of, you know, because she was a woman, because she was a widow, there was there was real injustice for her. And actually what we ended up doing was we, we, we made the stage look like a giant board game and we had... Uh, two characters one of whom was was this woman and the other was the the, the brother land the, who grabbed the land from her uh, and we had a game show host so the whole thing was a kind of board game slash game show we had music that was really kind of exciting music we had you know a, a giant dice that was thrown and every time the dice was thrown you would then you know move and you'd be trying to win and there were lots of you know silly things like you'd find in a board game like oh you've got to move back three spaces because you're a woman sorry <laughs> oh, oh i'm sorry this is just the, oh you've landed on that square that means we're going to take everything away from you again and you're not going to get justice and, and and it was funny. It was really good fun. It was really fun to do as a as a piece of theatre. But one of the things that that somebody somebody wrote me a lovely email after coming to see it, and she said it was so clever. She said because I was absolutely carried along by the fun of the whole thing, and this is hilarious. That you know, every time the guy throws the dice, he gets to move forward, and every time this woman throws the dice, there's some reason, or she has to carry extra stuff. Or she, and she said, and then I suddenly had this revelation moment of actually, this is somebody's real story. This is somebody's real life, and and what seems absurd is is revealing a deep truth and so I suppose this is a long long story <laughs> to say there's faithfulness do you know there's faithfulness in the foolishness there's faithfulness in the embodiment that Jesus came as a as a as a, an embodied living breathing crying laughing human being and actually, these things are, that's important. That's important that we don't lose in, in our arguments, in our, um, in our apologetics, in our, uh, 
desire to win people for Christ, we actually don't lose sight of the fact that the way he chooses to do that is through foolishness. And that can be an embodied thing and it can be a playful thing and it can often be a small insignificant thing. Because when I look back, a lot of the time I felt like what I was doing was quite small and insignificant. And, you know, conversations I was having with people or um, just little things that didn't seem to go anywhere, moments of of what feels like failure. Actually, those are the moments that I think God can use to do the most extraordinarily enormous things. It's the mustard seed. The mustard seed is really important to me as a, as a concept that, that actually the kingdom of God, it doesn't come in... Don't get me wrong. Sometimes it comes in grand plans and in big visions. And that's important. But more often than not, I think the kingdom of God comes in the mustard seed moments, in the little conversations, in the the, the hearing what he's saying and the obedience to what he's calling me to. Those little moments of noticing. And I think for me, 2020 and now into 2021 has, has affirmed that notice there's almost a call to notice what I'm what I'm doing. I, I, I have fallen into the trap before of thinking my spiritual experiences need to be big, significant. And sometimes God does that. You know, sometimes he just gets you like that. But then there's other times where it, it's that little moment of, it's the noticing. It's the little moment when I'm walking down the road that actually he wants me to go and pray with that person. Ooh, that's a little bit scary. Okay, I'll do it. Or, you know, he, he wants me to notice what's happening just outside my window because, well, just because the more I press in the more I step out in the spirit the 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 more in tune I guess I am and and as an actor it's like improvisation so in improvisation you kind of the best improvisers know how the structure works but they just go they go with the flow and it's actually the the important thing is about listening so to, to improvise well you need to listen to what the other actor's giving you and and respond in the moment of it so if you overthink it you lose it there's a freedom of really existing in the moment of that. And and I think sometimes we, I think as Christians and as Western Christians, we give some of that away to Eastern mysticism. We dismiss it, but actually, you know, that, that, that trusting in the spirit, that being in the moment with Jesus, giving up of surrendering my plans, surrendering my idea of what, what the Holy Spirit's going to do. There's, there's real freedom in that. I feel like I'm on a one woman campaign to challenge people because <laughs> I meet people all the time who say I'm not creative. That's the phrase they use. I'm not creative. And and I find myself saying, I think that's kind of blasphemous actually. Is that right? I think it is to say that it's blasphemous because what you're doing when you say you're not creative is you're denying the image of God in you. So we're all, we are all created in the image of the most incredible creator God and and of course the fall comes into that. So of course our, our creativity is is bent out of shape, and it's you know and, to, and 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 unless it's redeemed by Christ, then then it's it's going to be a a faulty fallen version. But we are all creative, and you know I'm a new creation. I'm a new creation. So what does that mean? I've I've come into this new creation, this new creativity. What does God have for me in that? What what Lord? What have you got for me? Rather than hanging about with the oh that's what I used to be. It's important that you don't forget that. Of course it is. It's important that we know what we're saved from, but it's also what you're saved for. What am I, what, what are you doing in terms of building a new heaven and a new earth? What's my part to play in that? And it's a trust thing, isn't it? It's like saying, you, you know, if I if I really believe that I'm a new creation, I really believe that the old is gone, the new has come, then then I'm I'm 
filled with the spirit who will enable me to walk into that. I wrote a poem um, quite early on in uh, 2021, and it was about the fact that that really I there was nothing I could do because we were in lockdown at that point. There was nothing I could do other than sit at my window and, and look at what was going on, you know, to look at a bird, to look at a flower, to slow down and do that. But actually that seems like such a small thing, but it's enough. The poem's called Enough and it, it's about being enough and and trusting that he's enough for me. Maybe some people who've got more wit about them, maybe they get that earlier on in life. It's taken me to almost 50 to really understand that, that, that I am enough and he's enough and that's enough. <laughs> it is enough to wait here, to look out of the window and observe the slowness of the light and the magpie on the ledge. It is enough to settle my soul and allow the tears to well within my heart and not fear the refusal of my eyes to release them. It is enough to plead and scream for the pain beyond that barely brushes the walls of my privileged cocoon. For you are enough and I am enough. My fumbled attempts, my desires, my intentions to greatness need leave no mark. I am enough. You do not demand nor prescribe, condemn nor chide me to more, to be more, to do more, to give more. I am enough. And enough, you declare, to accuser's command that demands my attention, diverts my intention, diminishes my devotion, honing in on my joy with beady eye pecking at my contentment until trust breaks loose and is stolen away in avaricious beak. It is enough to wait here, to look out of the window and watch the slowness of the light and the magpie on the ledge. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, we think you'll also like Keith's story, A Friend of Jesus and Excel story, a really big yes. They'll be linked in the show notes below. We encourage you to ask Holy Spirit what he wants to say to you through this story. We invite you to partner with us through your God-given resources of time, prayer, and finances. Without your sharing, these stories don't spread to those who need them. Without your prayers, we are limited in what we can do for the kingdom. Without your finances, these powerful stories of God's supernatural love go untold. God has called us to share His stories, and we invite you to be a part of that mission. For more information, be sure to check out our website at theunseenstory.org. Thanks so much for listening.